Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Welcome, everyone. Good afternoon. Today is November the 29th, 2016. We are almost through with November, and we're on to December. It's amazing how these weeks have went by so fast. But I'm glad that you're with me. It's time to wake up and get started with this day. I'm glad to actually be back. Yes, I have been gone. I've been taking a break. Every once in a while, you have to take a break. But um, I'm back, and I'm ready to start up with you again, get this thing revamped, new people, new situations. We keep it real on here. We keep it current with people who go through real issues through daily life, things that you're probably not aware of that you might want to know, wonder about this, wonder about that, and don't actually know the solution. That's what this show is all about, the bright side, keep you informed. So if you do feel like calling in, you can always do so with your questions at 347-426-3751. You can find me on Snapchat, TKDay4, Twitter, BrightSideTK, Facebook, Technicia Day, LinkedIn, you name it, I'm there, social media. But today with me, we have the honor to be conversating with a gentleman named Kevin Hancock. We'll be talking about his book, company, and also a rare disorder that you might not even be aware of. But we'll get into all that. First, I want to welcome Kevin on. Kevin, how are you doing this afternoon? Glad to have you. Technicia, hello. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. You're, you're so welcome. Now, I'm reporting from Atlanta, so where are you reporting from, Kevin? Right now. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm in Maine. Uh, I'm actually in uh, Yarmouth right now, which is close to Portland, which is the the biggest city in Maine. So we're we're about two hours north of Boston. Okay, so what are we looking at the weather right now? Right now it's a little chilly. We have rain going on. So what about you guys? Is it below yeah, there? Yeah, it's not very. It's not very good up here. It's cold and wet. And this morning it was. It was icy, so the roads were quite slippery. It was slow, a slow commute this morning. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry, Georgia, but we have no comparison to that whatsoever, Kevin. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I talked to a dude yesterday. He said, um, oh, I forgot where he said he was from, just that quick. But he said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to put your state down, but you have no idea we're like below 40 degrees Celsius. I'm like, whoa, that sounds like frostbite. <laughs> uh, but, Kevin, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to have you on. We're here to discuss about your book, um, maybe get into a little other topics, your rare disorder, your company. Um, so, Kevin, let's first get started off with the fact of this book. It's uh, The name of the book is Not For Sale. And I, I just – I love the topic, but – when you go online, you actually look for it. You have to put the actual name. 
So, Kevin, let's get it to more into talking about your book, um, Not For Sale. How did this idea even start? Because I don't think that you actually meant for it to turn into a book. It was actually a journal, correct? Yeah, no, that's that's right. We never we never really know where life's going to take us, do we? We think we know and we try to plan, but we but we don't. And I think part of part of living in the modern age is learning to to go with the flow a little bit and listen to what's coming coming your way. I've come to believe that our future bumps into us all the time, technicia, but sometimes we're too busy or distracted to hear it and that was the case with this story so i'm uh, i'm up here in maine and i i own and run a, a lumber company here in maine we uh grow trees and we have sawmills that make lumber and ship it all over the world and then we have stores as well and our company's been in business since 1848 since prior to the uh civil war and it's a family business and i'm part of the sixth generation of my family to uh, work there. And in 2010, at the peak of the economic crisis, the housing market and mortgage market collapsed that everyone well remembers. I uh, began to have trouble speaking. When I went to talk, all the muscles in my throat would spasm and squeeze and contract, and, and my voice got very, very weak and broken and hard to hear. It was painful to talk, and I ended up going to a bunch of doctors and it took about a year to get diagnosed, but I was diagnosed with spasmodic dysphonia, which is a rare neurological voice disorder that I'd never heard of before. And it um, had the effect of making me stop and sit still. I had to think a little bit differently about leadership because I couldn't talk all the time. And, Mm -hmm. um, had to had to handle leadership differently and ultimately ended up um, setting me on a path that took me to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, which is the biggest, poorest of all the Sioux reservations on the on the northern plains. And, and my right. trips back and forth from Maine to to that remote reservation became the, the basis for the book. Wow, just from you going all the way from Maine to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Now, I don't know too much on the Indian Reservation. I haven't done my research up on that, but what was that like? Tell us about Pine Ridge. Yeah, so it's the um, Pine Ridge is, is located in the southwest corner of South Dakota. If you look on a map, it sits right on top of the Nebraska Panhandle, and it's um, – the biggest of all the Sioux reservations on the Northern Plains. It's about 2.2 million acres in size and it's home Mm -hmm. to the Oglala, the Oglala Sioux tribe. And they're the descendants of some of the most famous war chiefs and medicine men in American history, Uh, red cloud, crazy horse, black elk, and, and others. And the people there uh, today, statistically, technician, it's the poorest place in America. So unemployment there today uh, is 90%. I think the median income is less than $10,000 uh, a year. The lowest life expectancy in the Western Hemisphere is Haiti today, and second is Pine Ridge, South Dakota. And the people there describe, I've heard people there describe their community's journey through American history 
as from first to worst. So before the West was quote-unquote one and settled, their tribe was very powerful and free and strong and self-sufficient. And today, uh, the people there are amazing, wonderful people. But statistically, um, economically, it's the the poorest place in, in the whole country today. Wow. One of the poorest place, even out of, you're talking about, even out of all the other countries, like in South Africa, one of the poor, wow. Yeah, so I, no, I'm I talking didn't. about in the United, it's the poorest place in the United States. Okay, okay. In the today, United States, in the, okay. In the country today, yeah. So, um, yeah, but it's a really, um, it's a really cool place filled with beautiful people that are bright and funny and smart and resilient and proud and caring and big hearted and, um, and they feel forgotten. So the, the story was a bit interesting. So I kind of ended up going there to, to quote unquote, find my own voice, if you will, on a literal level with the voice disorder I'd acquired. And then more deeply on a spiritual level, really trying to reconnect or connect with the essence of who I was. And I ended up um, going to a place where an entire community felt like it had no voice. You know what I mean? It's just a community that felt marginalized and forgotten and not valued and not heard and really kind of left behind. Right. I um, not even trying to get off the topic here, but I love the fact that you even start your book off well with the excerpts from people who loved it and gave their comments. But you start off with an in India prayer. You know, it makes me just thinking about all this with the ancestors of Indian Native Americans takes me back to the reason why we have Thanksgiving and we forget the actual true meaning of you know, the sacrifices that Native Americans actually had to give up, declaring the war and everything. And we, I mean, it is supposed to be a day of giving thanks and praise. And there's no better day than that, but we're supposed to really do it. But this really makes me think about when Thanksgiving come around, the sacrifices that Native Americans had to go through. No, no, exactly. You know, and I think that uh, one of the things I really thought a lot about uh, having spent time there, I've now been there 10 times since 2012 and, and learned and studied and read a lot about their history and their culture and modern day life there is that, um, that, that all cultures in America is no different. We tend to, to want to forget or push to the side certain parts of our of our history. Uh, and even though we mm-hmm. have an amazing country, an amazing country in so many ways that, that lots of people from around the world will, you know, will fight or risk their entire life to be able to emigrate here. But, um, but within our own national story, there are still, you know, dark chapters or chapters that, that uh, we wish had been different. And the settling of this country was one of them. You know, I uh, majored in history and, in college and I taught history right Mm -hmm. after college, but it wasn't until I stood at the Pine Ridge Indian reservation for the first time that it, that it actually dawned on me that Columbus did not discover a new world. 
like we were taught in kindergarten. People people already lived here. Exactly. And and that would get me in school. You're right. School, we're taught that. But as you get older, that's why as we get older, we have to take it amongst ourselves to do our own research. It's taught, and you have to actually dig. So while everyone is out going out celebrating Black Friday, no offense, I don't really celebrate it, not because of the fact that I don't have money, which I never do, but the fact that it's based a lot of these things that we actually do, and I know you agree with me too, Kevin, it's based off history, and we be so, uh, I guess I could say, uneducated on what actually happened years ago, and we, we think that we know, and we actually don't know. Like Black Friday, it's it's not an official holiday whatsoever, but to me, um, not trying to bring it up, but that was a day that a lot of African Americans were killed. Like, we have to think about it. When we're sitting at our table doing Thanksgiving, cutting our turkey, are we, are we actually giving thanks for the thousands of Indians that suffered at, at the hands of pilgrims? We go from giving thanks to celebrating an all-out killing spree. I mean, are we... Really thinking, but we're being told to see. But it doesn't come from you not wanting to know you. I don't think people just know. So, you know, I'm glad that we did bring it up, and I'm glad that you are really signifying it in your book. When you actually look through the book, there are little things like in your acknowledgments you give. Um, in Nahi, I think at the beginning of it, like you see these little quotes of um, the Indian words. I love it because throughout the book you will find it if you – when you read it, you'll see these little snips and pieces and everything. Um, but, Kevin, um, so how is it coming along, the fact that we're talking about your register order? How is it coming along for you? Or Did you do any treatments? Because I did a little research on it. Most people done Botox shots. Um, what about you? Right. Did you go through those? Yeah, so, no, right. So my voice is actually functioning right now about as well as it it ever would function and sometimes that makes it harder to tell the story because often when my voice is at its worst technician you and I could be sitting having a cup of coffee and you could barely hear me but there are uh, there are two treatments for the disorder uh, one is chemical and the other is spiritual I uh, use both but prefer the spiritual so I get on the chemical side I get periodic Botox injections and it makes um temporarily my voice function better but the other thing that comes with the disorder is that from a spiritual standpoint the the calmer you can make the inner inner deep core of your soul that that real true center of who you are the better your voice does so i consider myself lucky now like i've actually come to see it as a blessing because i have this this built-in barometer in my voice that tells me how I'm doing on the inside. But uh, the voice disorder changed me a lot in terms of how I led and then how I thought about my own life. So picture back in 2010, I was trying to figure out how to help run a lumber company through the collapse of the housing market without being able to talk all the time. <laughs> And that really scared me. Like, I didn't know if it would actually cost me my job, but I, I stumbled onto some learning. So people would, would come to see me because I was the, you know, the boss, quote, unquote. And I'll just do an example. Someone would come and say, um, I've got a, we've got a problem or a situation. And because I knew my voice wasn't going to be able to 
allow me to give a long answer. When they when they give me the question technique, I started saying, wow, that is a good question. What do you think we should do about it? And guess what I what I learned when I started asking that question? <laughs> People knew they had great ideas and they had great answers and they didn't need someone else to tell them what to do. They already knew because people are smart and they care and they want to do a good job and they know the work they're responsible for. So someone would tell me what they thought and then I would say to protect my voice, um, well, that's a great idea. Let's go do that. And off they went uh, with their own idea. And then pretty soon it hit me that the loss uh, of my own voice was actually a a blessing and a calling, and it was a calling to help strengthen the voices of others. So I got thinking about our company where we have, we have 500 people at work here, and the simple thought was what if we could create a company where everybody led, mm-hmm. where every voice felt respected and trusted and important and heard and responsible? Wouldn't a company where everybody led – outperform a company, a traditional organizational model where just a few people made all the decisions or did all the the talking. So it, it actually revolutionized the way I thought about um, leadership. And I've since come to see it, think about leadership in the modern age, the Aquarian age, as um, being about doing less, not more. Leaders actually being quiet <laughs> for a second. It's really counterintuitive, but leaders actually holding back to create more space for everyone else to talk and share ideas and make decisions and take responsibility. And we ended up um, reinventing our company that way. And I don't take a ton of credit for the idea because I I just got lucky because of my voice. It forced it on me. But having seen it, it's forever changed the way I think about um, leadership. You know what? That's not a bad idea. By you can actually perform like you wanted to. You had other people to do that. That is a smart. That is that's a smart idea. I I don't think I ever heard of a company actually taking that amongst themselves to do that. So that was really that was a bright idea to do that. Hey, and that you know what? That also helps others to learn how to step up to the plate. Hey, I need you to be a leader now. You need to take charge help you break out of your shells, this is what I need. But I'm glad that you're you're coping with it and you're doing better. I did a research on another lady. Um, her last name was Rem, R-E-H-M. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. And she said one day she was on the air doing an interview because she's a broadcaster. And the guy was like, are you nervous? Because it was tremor in her voice. She said no, and she brushed them off. Said, but as she kept continuously doing it, the tremors kept going, and that's when she found out that she had this rare disorder. Um, now, I don't know out of how many numbers um, people actually get it, because this is my first time actually hearing it. So I'm glad that you are on, Kevin, and that we could tell other people about this, because there's so much out here that we actually don't know. But, um, Kevin, what, describe the meaning your book title, Not For Sale. Yeah, so the the full title is uh, Not For Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. And the the um, 
beginning of the title, not for sale, sometimes confuses people. So they'll look at it and they'll say, oh, that's so nice, Kevin, your book is free. <laughs> and then that makes me feel bad because, no, you have to buy the book. But it, it had such an important meaning, I wanted to use that title. And it was twofold. The title has meaning for the Oglala Sioux tribe of Pine Ridge and for myself. So in the 1930s, the Sioux Nation of Indians began filing a series of lawsuits against the federal government uh, for the taking of their land back in the 1860s and 70s with the railroad and the gold and the settlement of the West. And uh, as you can imagine, their lawsuits in the 1930s were dismissed and they were thrown out of court and defeated, but they kept going. They didn't quit Technicia. And in 1980, they found themselves before the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, in a very famous case in which the Supreme Court sided with uh, the Sioux and, and ruled that the United States government had violated the Fifth Amendment rights of the Sioux people by taking their land without just compensation. And so the court went back to the 1870s and calculated the value of the land and then added the interest to it to bring it forward to the present day and awarded them it was like $112 million. And the Sioux came back to the podium and said, no, your honors, I'm sorry, uh, you don't understand. Our land's not for sale. And they won't take the money. They went to court to get their land back. And the value of that to them morally is bigger than the money that would come out of the settlement. So they won't take the money. It still sits in in a trust for them, like almost 30 years later now, and it's worth over a billion dollars, but um, not for sale. So that's, that's part of what the title, where the title came from. And then for me, as a business executive, kind of in the prime of his career, I came to realize that I wanted to define myself more broadly than just being about business, 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 bigger, better, more, go, go, go that I do right. take pride in my job. It's important. I want to be good at it, but it's not who I am. It's a role I play. And that I wanted to define myself more broadly. And I came to see that I was, um, I was a writer. I was a storyteller. I was a picture taker. I was a bit of an activist uh, for these native American communities. And that in that sense, I too was not for sale. So that's kind of the dual meaning of the title. Okay, I got you, and I do. I I love the whole aspect of the book, as I said before. Now, with that, um, I guess I like to ask you, Kevin, because you are the central character, and I read that a little bit in your office note. But for the ones who have not, who don't have their hands on this book, um, what was it like just to know that you put yourself into this book? What was that feeling? Yeah, at first I felt really vulnerable because I was um, – this book started out as a journal that I was keeping, and I was really writing it um, first and foremost for me. I was trying to – again, uh, someone in the middle of his life in a, in a busy internet-wired 24-7 go, go, go world with lots of roles and responsibilities, I kind of woke up one day, if you will – with my voice issue, realizing that, that I'd lost track a little bit of who I was, 
separate from my roles and responsibilities and when other people thought of me, I'd lost track of who who I was. And so these trips to Pine Ridge were really a chance to to kind of search for my soul's voice, the, the, the core of who I was, and to make sure I was being that person and letting that out. And that's what I was writing about in what I thought was a journal. And then at some point along the way, I realized, no, this is actually going to be a book uh, and a story that I might share. And that really scared me because I was I was kind of bearing my soul to myself. And then um, in publishing the book, I was getting ready to bury, to, 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 to um, reveal the essence of my soul to the, to the world. And so that scared me at first, but, um, but having done it, it was really liberating. It was really liberating to contemplate who I was you know, that can be a little scary for all of us, but to really just sit still by ourselves, be quiet and contemplate who we are and to really kind of dare to face that path, walk that way, live that truth, be that person. Mm -hmm. And I've since come to believe that, um, that that's what we're here for, that, that living is, uh, you can think about it a, a few ways, of course, but, but to me, I've come to believe that living is, is first and foremost a soul's experience, and that each soul is here to find their own voice, their own truth, and to live that voice and truth, and the way the world lights up or moves forward is when individuals are willing to really seek out their truth and um, and live it and tolerate and support and respect the truth of others. You know, this idea that we can be um, that we can have different perspectives, we can we can be our own person, and that the beauty of the planet is that um, that we're all alike, but we're all different, and to tolerate that, to respect that to me, I think is really important. Right. And, and that takes a lot of courage to actually put it out on a book. Cause I have thought of it too. If I do a book, you're, you're using yourself as the real character. There's no fictitious reporting in that. And that takes a lot. So I commend you for doing that, for putting all your heart and soul into this book, but we're going to be back with Kevin. And when we come back, we're going to probably do a little aside from what we're talking about, we're going to focus on a little bit of Native American experience in this country, maybe with a little historical present black experience in this country. So you guys do not go anywhere. Do not touch that dial. You're listening to Blog Talk Radio with your girl, Technisha. We'll be right back after this, darling. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Talk Radio, baby. Peekaboo. Peekaboo. Smile. Smile, buddy. Come on. Smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. (sighs) Yeah. Maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby. I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. 
You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Kevin Hancock, who is the owner of his own lumber company, who has conquered through all tranquility and everything dealing with a rare disorder to now having this book not for sale. And, of course, it is for sale, so we don't want you thinking that you don't have to pay for it, but you actually do. But it's an interesting book. It also ties in with Native Americans, and we spoke a little bit about that as in regards to Thanksgiving, and we forget how many Native Americans actually were sacrificed on that day that we so much love. But also, I know truly in Kevin's heart, he has an interest in this where he's cross-connecting the historical and present Native American experience in this country with the historical and present black experience in this country. What really particularly interests you so much? Because now as we see it, history is actually repeating itself. More so we have the situation where black lives matter, but not just black lives, all lives matter. But unfortunately, to be honest, here, it just seems particularly that it's been focused towards minorities and African Americans. Right. So I was really interested when I when I went out to Pine Ridge in um, what I you know what I thought was ancient history, like uh, the settling of the West, the winning of the West, the discovery of gold, the gold rush, all of that. That um, that there were communities in this country that had not yet still recovered from that, or what's more communities that had not yet still recovered from Columbus's quote unquote discovery of a new world. And that there were big parts of our national story with respect to native peoples that we really hadn't dealt with in terms of how they were conquered and colonized and the, the genocide and, uh, the remaking of Indians as white people, just really, really terrible things that happened for generations and that um, recovering from those types of experiences for a, an individual or a family or a community uh, can be really, really difficult. And there's nothing, you know, whether it was that experience or the the slave experience or the colonial experience um, on this planet or in this country that affected, um, you know, blacks or other minorities around the world. There's nothing you can do to, to erase what happened. But I, I, I actually have come to believe that it's important to, to, to revisit the truth of what happened, to come to grips with it, to acknowledge it as a step in the process of helping people uh, make peace and forgive, not forget, but forgive and move forward. And there's a section in my book where I write an apology about all of the things that happened to the tribes on the, on the plains. And I've, 
since told people that apologies aren't meant to change the past, they're meant to change the future. And I, and I think that people, uh, communities that have gone through really difficult historical periods, that it is important um, for the entire country or the entire planet to acknowledge those things, to be aware of those things, to be sorry for those things, and, and to be um, – you know, active participants in trying to help communities like that release the past hurt and begin to move forward, which is easier said than done. If it was easy to do, they would have already done it. Exactly, because some people don't know how to move forward. When issues come up today, we always refer back to the past, but I agree with you on that. The past is supposed to make you stronger to move actually forward. It's not supposed to hold you back and make you feel like you're in, in a prison cell or a coffin. Now, most of the time, uh, people will catch me saying that we are slaves. But when I say that, I'm mostly talking about like a slave to your job. We get caught up. We get comfortable on these jobs, and we don't know how to move on. But, um, you know, you focus on the civil rights movement, which was all about integration. Civil rights movement was to bring us all together to what we can come as one. That was Martin Luther King's dream and hope there. Um, now, you also, you mentioned the American Indian movement was in part about segregation as we had experienced ourselves um, historically black um, figure, figures did experience segregation. Now, uh, now, Kevin, I guess I want to state this because you think that the two communities could learn from each other's stories and experiences, but there does not seem to be too much connection. No, and that's a great, that's such a great point, and that's a big part of what um, what I wrote about and I've talked about today. I think that. Um, I, I wrote a lot, Technicia, and thought a lot about what I came to call tribalism, you know, which is individual communities, whether it's the um, the Native American community, the black community, the white community, the the Jewish community, the Muslim community, the Latin America, the Latino community, whatever it might be, that 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 we're all to some degree still largely um, living often within the boundaries of our own tribe or community at the core and that we need to to cross those boundaries more and spend more time connecting with each other to for no other purpose than to just be connected so one of the the beauties of what i do at pine ridge is i don't have a formal role there i don't work for the government i don't work for a nonprofit, and i just go there to be among the people there and what what I have definitely realized, and I believe those people I'm connected to at Pine Ridge realize in return, is that even though on one level um, they are Indian and I'm not, that we're all the same still. We're all human beings, and I've really come to believe that um, – that one of the big the big movements of the Aquarian age is overcoming tribalism and starting to see the human uh, race for what it is, which is one single tribe sharing one single planet. And a lot of these boundaries that we've built between our our communities 
in the past or over historical uh, wounds um, that, that one step at a time, one person at a time, it's the age to try to, to try to move past that because um, at the end of the day, we're all human. And the Lakota have a phrase that I love, mitak kue oyasen, which means essentially means we're all brothers or everything is, everything is related and connected. And we can all still, you know, keep and cherish our own heritage and, and traditions and story and still embrace the fact that, um, that there's a human tribe of which we all belong. Exactly. And you mentioned that, that basically the goal should not be the eradication or abandonment of one culture in favor of another, but rather the connectivity of cultures. Um, and when I think of cultures, I think simply just for just me being here born in the United States, we really don't have a culture. We celebrate everybody else's culture, Cinco de Mayo, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I mean, when you really look at, like, what do we have <laughs> as a culture? <laughs> when my baby say, oh, Mom, I have to do something dealing with culture, I'm like, oh, you know what? That is a good question. What culture do we actually have? I don't think we – we don't own anything, really. Everything was either stolen or taken away. We don't own that there. Yeah, uh, yeah, no. I mean, those are really interesting questions to to um, to think about. But then, but then, with that too, to to think about it a little bit differently, like um, a single human tribe. The the um, there was a big conference of indigenous peoples a few years back down in South America, and the motto that that they adopted. Um, for the conference was we're all indigenous. You know, if you, there was a great article in national geographic um, a couple of years ago that, that, that was describing kind of the best known science today on the evolution of um, the human species. And it's most commonly agreed today that, that the entire human species uh, migrated out of Africa, began migrating out of Africa, um, around 200,000 years ago. And some of those people over time slowly migrated up into what is today Europe. Others migrated east into what is today Asia. At a moment in time, the descendants of those that went east crossed the Bering Sea or Straits and populated the Americas. And in the 15th century, people like Columbus uh, the descendants of those who, who went into Europe sailed west to the Americas, and um, these people felt they were meeting each other for the first time and that they were different, but it was actually the same clan, the same tribe, the same group of humans on a 200,000-year journey to cover the globe, and they were meeting each other again for the same time and i do think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of wisdom in you would mention and with this show there's a lot of wisdom in the core values of the civil rights movement and in martin luther king's time immortal immemorial speech of um you know a time when we don't see the color of people's skin 
and that we don't judge people based on the color of their skin in any direction. And I know those things are easier to say than do, but, um, but I really believe those are the types of, it's time to start really trying to think that way and to live that way. And one individual at a time making a commitment to, to view people that way, when enough people do that, it starts to tip the planet. Oh, I'm sorry, um, Kevin. We had a little disconnect there. But um, in your book, what I was just thinking of the fact that you were talking about speaking to people and things of that sort. I was thinking about Nick and Alberta, who you speak of throughout your book, and you had the pleasure of connecting with. Do you do you still talk to them to this day? Oh, I do, yeah. So I go back uh, to the reservation at least twice a year, and um, the people – that I know there are really dear um, friends of mine and they've welcomed me into their community. I've learned a lot from them. They've listened to me and I, I just love the idea. What I think about, you know, with those friendships I had is how easy it would have been for them and me to never have met. You talk about getting consumed with your work and I've really focused on that here too. It would have been, there's always more to do at work or in our roles. And it's really easy in this busy world we live in to have that take up all of us, but all of our time and energy, but um, creating some space to, to explore what's within our own soul, to, to cross boundaries and meet other people that, that we have no reason to meet. Those are really powerful acts. Um, and it really right. just makes They're me believe that, that, that we're all human and that we have a lot more in common that unites us than we do that separates us. Well, I tell you, if many of us could actually do with what you have done, if I could even do it and afford it, to just go back, go to some places to do my homework, to find out who my actual ancestors were, that would be so amazing to actually just get out. As you said, we get so compounded with work and thinking that's all it is, but just to do what you did, that's like a breath of fresh air. That's priceless. Those are memorable. You can't erase those ever. I love the way that you even have the pictures in your book, like bold color. You're getting that feel like you're right there on the reservoir with you, riding a horse, just everything. It's just Oh, the connection that you will get through this book is wonderful. Um, let's ask this question. Um, Kevin, what is the connection between the ancient Lakota vision quest, right, and your personal journey and story? Because I know you – Yeah, that's a, great, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. So the Lakota um, spiritually or culturally have seven sacred rites as they tell the story, that were brought to them long ago, even before the coming of the horses, by the white buffalo calf woman. And one of those rites, many people would have heard of, it's the vision quest. And in the vision quest rite, uh, young people coming of age or adults at a transformational or critical moment in their lives would leave their tribe and journey out alone into the wilderness with no possessions, for a period of days for the purpose of quote unquote seeking a vision. And this was really about understanding your own connectivity 
to the sacred energy that lives in, in, in all things and looking inward to listen more deeply to the whispers of the, or the voice of your own soul, to know your own truth, to really know who you are and to, to live that truth. And then if you received a vision, which many or most people did who were seeking, the biggest part of receiving a vision was looking for one. Uh, you were expected to come back to your tribe and share what you had learned and live your life in accordance with that vision. And, and what I saw there in, in that right was a, uh, a really powerful organizational idea. And to me, it was this. It was the notion that if every individual in the tribe or the neighborhood or the community was strong, knew their own voice, knew their own truth, then the tribe would be strong. It was right out of Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book to me in that famous phrase, the strength, the strength of the pack is the wolf. And what I loved about that idea for the modern age is, um, is revisiting the power that lives within you. And while the world, the external world, can be a really challenging demanding, overwhelming place that um, can feel unfair or, or um, tilted against you, that there's more power that lives within us than we sometimes realize. We lose track of that with all the distractions with the, the external. Like I hate the political season because I think it just gives the false impression that government has so much power. And while government's important, it plays a role. The real power of any house, school, church, community, country, or planet lies within each individual. And it's really easy to get focused on uh, the external, but the only real opportunity to grow and make a move is to look within ourselves and recapture that that strength and power that lives within all of us. And that's to me what that vision quest right was about. And even though it's an ancient indigenous right, I came to believe it actually held the truth in terms of a path forward for the modern age. Like if, like I could look at that idea and benefit from it. The people of Pine Ridge could look at that idea and benefit from it. Um, or anybody from that you know or, or where you live could do the same, that it was a human idea looking inward to, to really regain and maximize your own strength and truth and voice. So inspirational. I mean, this really just takes you to a whole nother level, an element that you really can't get when you're stuck in your comfort zone. You have to get out your comfort zone and go out and explore. I wish I could have taken that moment with you just to go down that same journey to experience that, the focus and attention that you probably could have gained that we don't do because we'd be so surrounded by all these other gadgets, the TV, phone, computer, <laughs> work, children, all day, cars. But that is like a peace of mind. Because even in your book, I can't even probably imagine – trying to figure out what the time is without an actual watch, but every time you go to Pine Ridge, you do that. You 
don't carry a watch because you have learned how to do it. Um, just then by going off on the sun, the moon set this way. I know what time it is. Or, you know, wow. Right. Yeah, and that, I that, and I really want to encourage. Whoops, sorry, I was just going to say, Technisha, I really want to encourage too that um, that this is something anyone can do in small ways. You know, I ended up doing this by taking five or six days at a time and leaving, but um, but anyone can do that for ten or fifteen minutes in a day. You know, it could be just just making the time every day to go for a walk or finding that room or space in your home or in your neighborhood or in a park where you can go even for 15 or 20 minutes and be still and just focus on you. It doesn't have to be this big dramatic thing to get started. And I've found that if you, if you consistently make a few minutes every day to focus on you, to listen to your own voice, you'll start to, hear it it, it uh, your soul or spirit is there it truly is there to guide you but right. uh, the Lakota have a phrase I love Technisha they say it this way they say the spirits will meet you halfway you know they're not you've got to do you've got to you've got to uh, do the work yourself or, or the other way I think about that is seeking is the single biggest part of finding and if you're not seeking or if you've given up or if you've convinced yourself you're too busy, then that will be your reality. Hmm. That's something I need to make sure I write down myself. And I bet it changes so much inside of you once you start doing that, getting connected with yourself. That's, that's the piece. That's when you start really meditating, becoming one with yourself and I think that would be a good suggestion, especially for parents, just to get that 15 minutes, even five minutes at the most, just to go into a corner and get it. But, you know, I guess this is something that was brought up in your book, Evolutionary Astrology. Tell us a little bit about that, Kevin, because we still have a little more time and how it impacted your journey and story. Yeah, that's a great question, too, and it's perfect timing with on the heels of what we were just talking about. So. So I had a bunch of things I never would have expected come into my life, like my voice disorder and the, and the Pine Ridge Reservation. And then evolutionary astrology was something else that came into my life. I had a, a reading done um, by an evolutionary astrologist from Palo Alto, California, that I'd never met, who was, who was telling me about the, the kind of the core essence of my own soul off just uh, reading a chart that had nothing more than the date, time, and place of my birth on it and looking at the heavens uh, then and there. And it blew me away, Technisha, how uh, accurate I felt um, this woman was in talking about the innermost kind of challenges or essence of who I was. So I got learning about evolutionary astrology, and it's got three basic tenets that, that uh, build on themselves. The first is that that um, everything that lives, has lived, does live, or shall live, is related and interconnected. It's all made up of the same stardust, if you will. It's all made up of the same stuff. It's related. <laughs> and that made sense to me when I thought about it. And then the second tenet or idea of evolutionary astrology is that that stardust that lives in everybody and everything, whether it's a human or a tree, has a 
a mission. It wants to evolve. It wants to learn, and it wants to grow, and it wants to move forward. And then the third component of evolutionary astrology, which is, was a bigger leap, but it's really interesting to think about, is that as to humans, the soul is the being, and the body is more uh, like a vessel, if you will, that just is there to carry the soul, but that the soul is the real being, and that souls have multiple incarnations across time for the purpose of evolving, learning lessons, and growing, and that we bring um, can bring past wounds or past patterns um, from previous lives into this one, and there are patterns that we're looking to um, shed or outgrow. And another way I've thought about that, um, you know, every personality, I believe, has like a high end to it or a low end to it. Like if you think about yourself at, at your best when you feel like you're the, you're the best of who you are, and then you think about yourself at your worst moments when you're the worst of who you are, you know, I think we all can see a really big difference between those two ends of us. And that we're really here trying to to leave that worst end of who we are as far behind as possible and to live more in that best essence of who we are and that that um, is an individual soul's journey and that each soul is here to, um, to try to move forward and that as souls grow and, and evolve, um, that's how the whole human race moves forward, too. It happens one individual at a time, which, again, all comes back to looking inward and working on yourself and serving yourself more than perhaps we often do. It, right. I mean, these are some interesting stories. I mean, you could just – you could feel like you are actually there in the moment with you there is nothing, no more, I think there are any other words to really describe it. Kevin, I mean, your journey is amazing. Like, I mean, you just have to, this, this is incredible. I'm so glad to just have had you as a guest on my show because this is so comforting, especially just starting off beginning, we're getting close to December. And it won't be long before we start seeing a whole new year. So this is a time now to just start becoming one with yourself, getting to know yourself. And it brings me amongst our affirmations, not trying to get off the topic again, but I do affirmations with a group of other people who has a millionaire mind, and we do them at 725 a.m. Eastern time. You could call in at 641-715-3200. Hashtag, um, PIN code is 656-202, hashtag. And it really just, it's almost like what Kevin was saying. You have to start just getting time to yourself, and that's the way I feel about affirmations. You're getting time to yourself. You're putting good feeling into your soul, and I'm getting good feeling. Um, Kevin, but before we actually end this show, because this is, this is great. I love it, every bit of it. Can you tell the listeners where they can actually get your book from? Because I know Amazon is one of the sites. Yeah, and, and thank you so much for having me. And I love the work you do to 
share ideas and help people think. Um, and I, and I really love to share the ideas that are in my, my book. So you can, you can get it on Amazon. That's one easy way to get it. But my favorite place to have people uh, access the book is on the book's website, which is just Kevin D Hancock.com. Kevin D is in David Hancock.com. And on that website, you can see lots of pictures and resources about the book and the things we've talked about. And um, I sign all of those orders personally. So the book's only $20 on that website. It's a discount and it's free shipping. It's all through PayPal and I'll see your order. I'll sign your order. And um, that's the most intimate way for someone to get the book. And just want to end it on the note that throughout Kevin's book, you also make an apology, which I thought that was the most beautiful thing, uh, apology. And if you don't mind me reading that to the listeners right quick, Kevin, I would love to do so. Oh, I love that. Please do. Thank you. The apology starts off to Lakota people and all the First Nation tribes of the Northern Plains. My name is Kevin Hancock, and I would like to apologize. I have learned the history of your people, and I am aware of the devastating impact America's Western expansion had upon you. I apologize that we put our knees above yours. I apologize that we slaughtered the buffalo with which you coexisted. I apologize that we broke our treaties. I apologize that we took your land under the guise of our own industrialness and as if we had God's blessings. Apologize that we saw your race and culture as inferior and treated you as such. I have also learned about the negligence and federal mismanagement of your reservations in the 20th century. And for this, too, I would like to apologize. And with that, my listeners, I want to thank you, Kevin, once again, for being on the show with us and sharing this. Please do not forget to pick up Kevin's book, Not For Sale. You will love it. Kevin, you enjoy your holidays, and I hope to very one day soon have you again on the show. But for my I love that. I feel blessed been... that we're connected, and uh, thank you for finding me, Techie Shows. My pleasure. Blessings to you. Oh, you're so welcome. And for my listeners, you've been listening to the Bright Side with Technicia. Make sure you listen to the archives, and if you're listening to the replay, make sure that you make sure that everyone else is listening. And again, you can find me on all the social media apps, and I will be back with you sooner than you think. So everyone, have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com.